Welcome to the GTFO podcast. This is Holly Kaplan. For those of you who don't know, GTFO means get the F out. In this podcast, we will be discussing how to get the F out. How to get the F out of a bad situation, predicament, or something you want to flat change. I'll be interviewing individuals who have had to GTFO. Expect to hear stories of those who experience situations of despair, pain, and fear. And the only way to escape it was to GTFO. Through this podcast, I want to give you, the listeners, the power and courage to make life changes should you need to GTFO. Have you ever stayed in a certain life situation too long? The situation could be personal or professional, but either way, even though you knew in your gut it was not going to work out, you put that situation in simmer mode and waited it out until a defining moment arrived to let you know that it was time for your gut to take over and free yourself of what was not right for you. This is what we're going to discuss today with my guest, Alyssa Rapp. But before we do that, here is some information on Alyssa. She is many things, and this woman does many things. Alyssa currently serves as the managing partner of AJR Ventures, a firm providing strategic advisory services to companies ranging from startups to Fortune 500s in the technology, beverage, and luxury goods categories. In 2014, Alyssa joined the ranks as a lecturer in management at Stanford's Graduate School of Business, annually teaching a course on the global dynamics of the wine industry. Previously, Alyssa served as the founder and CEO of Bottlenotes Incorporated, the leading interactive media company in the U.S. wine industry. She's the author of Bottlenotes Guide to Wine Around the World in 80 Sips. Alyssa was named in Inc. Magazine's 30 Under 30 Coolest Entrepreneurs in America and is consistently named one of the wine industry's top 100 most influential people by IntoWine.com. In November 2019, Alyssa released her second book titled Leadership and Life Hacks, Insights from a Mom, Wife, Entrepreneur, and Executive, which I have read and gifted to several women, by the way. She is currently also the CEO of the healthcare solutions company, Surgical Solutions. See, I told you she does a lot. But most importantly, Alyssa is wife to Hal Morris, MLB 1990 World Series champion, and mom to Audrey and Hetty and their Bernadoodle, Yoda. Alyssa, thank you for joining me today. Uh, Holly, it's my great pleasure. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation today because I know that you have a good story about following your gut and your values and one of your professional situations in your life. And I know a lot of people will appreciate hearing it. Before we do that, will you tell us a little bit more about yourself so that the audience knows more about Alyssa Rapp? Oh, sure. So thank you for the gracious bio and introduction. I am, as you say, a working mom, uh, wife, entrepreneur, and executive. I wrote a book to that same theme about a year and a half ago, no, not even a year ago, uh, called Leadership and Life Hacks that you can find on Amazon at all. And then in the pandemic, I did a companion edition after having having been asked a handful of times, uh, what are your hacks for this and that? And so that's the, the, the latest and greatest booklet, um, Hacks for the New World. It's really 19, 19 hacks for living and, and like working and living each in the COVID-19 era. But the most importantly, I you know grew up a childhood athlete and was a was a committed student and um, doting sister and loving daughter and ended up growing up in the suburbs of Chicago. Went on to Yale University, which was quite um, quite an extraordinary experience. And double majored in political science and the history of art. Learned how to think critically, write critically, uh, and you know kind of digest a lot of information at once, which I think are themes that carries through to my carry through 
to my professional career. And then from college, I went to work for what was then the most exciting political campaign in the country. Um, a lot of political fireworks today here in the great state, great United States. <laughs> to say the least. To say the least, <laughs> yes. literally. Um, but I worked for Hillary Clinton's first Senate race and then found out I liked political fundraising Didn't and got an incredible opportunity from US, then U.S. Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky to join her as a national finance director and did that in my early 20s. And it was a job that was way, you know, shoes were way bigger than mine and I had to work my tail off to fill them, but learned an important life lesson at that moment of that first job out of college. It's really great if it stretches you and someone has faith and believes in you and gives you an opportunity that's probably bigger than your resume uh, should let you have. And if you can grow into it and you have champions and coaches and mentors along the way, it's an awesome privilege. And I was lucky to rise to the occasion there and then went to grad school to follow my entrepreneurial dreams to found and start and run companies and ended up at Stanford, which was, an, again, exceeded my expectations and was a real extraordinary experience. Met my husband, now husband, there. What a uh, two Midwesterners displaced to California. We stayed out there primarily <laughs> for a, a good long time. Uh, grad school was 03 to 05, and we stayed another, goodness, you know, decade on top of that. So we were there till till 17. But we after 14 years of Silicon Valley, decided it was time to go home and be uh, Midwesterners again. And I'm so grateful we have to be closer to grandparents and to be raising our children with good, strong Midwest values. And here we have been for three and a half years on a permanent basis, uh, shuttling back and forth. And uh, and we, as you said, run a local healthcare service, private equity-backed healthcare services company that has operations, as you know, in 35 hospitals across nine states. And my husband, who had been a you know, 14 year major league baseball player, won a world series, as you said, in 1990, great, great admirer of his and all he has done and continues to do. But he then also, you know, cut to present in the last five years, a couple of years we were in Silicon Valley, joined a fund in San Francisco that makes equity investments in athletes and has still remained part of that, even though we moved back to the Midwest. So he was doing uh, shelter in place, work from home before work from home was a thing. Uh, he was doing it for two years prior. Lucky for him. He was ahead of the trend. He was he ahead was, of the trend. He was way ahead of the trend. And I will say at Surgical Solutions for those who are local to the corporate office, I also had a three days in work from home two day policy prior to COVID. So I'd like to think I was ahead of the trend too. But um, yeah, that's that's that that I think that brings us to present. And Holly, my our daughters are eight and five. Our, our Bernie Doodle Yoda is ninety pounds and two and. The girls like to remind us, but that's 14 in dog years. He's a teenager now. And uh, he is a teenager. And, he and that is. Sums wow. It up. That sums it up. Okay. Let me just say, I've known you for a couple of years. And as long as, I mean, as much as we've spoken, you've just had the entrepreneurial spirit. Everything you do is entrepreneurial. And I got to say that I really admire that. That's fine. And I'm glad that our, our listeners are hearing this because they need to hear that they can achieve their goals the same way you have. You know, you've done thing on done things on your own terms, and I love that. So let me just acknowledge that. Oh, thank you. And I think entrepreneurial spirit. You know, whether I'm talking teaching it at Stanford or University of Chicago Business Schools, or I'm living it myself, it really is a mindset. You can be entrepreneurial in a small organization or large. Uh, you can be an entrepreneur at a startup or an entrepreneur in a Fortune 500, and it's really an approach. It's different if you're on your own, starting your own business, hanging your own shingle, and they're both they're all great, but. You know, whether or not you're scrappy and entrepreneurial and motivated is a state of mind more than a state of place. Now, that's very, very true. It's very true. And I'll tell you, when I sold long distance in the early 90s, which is really funny because nobody sells that anymore. Wow. <laughs> I was scrappy. 
That's where I got the entrepreneurial spirit because I was like, shit, no one's going to do anything about this if I don't. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I I love scrappy. I Mm -hmm. love that word. So I'm glad you said that. Um, Let's get to the nitty gritty though, because um, I know that your story will resonate with several people. Tell us about the professional situation that you were faced with and how your gut served you as your compass. Yeah. And preparing for today, we discussed that I had been in, in between my dot-com decade and running a private equity-backed healthcare company. I spent a couple of years doing advisory work under the auspices of AGR Ventures for two family offices and two uh, private equity firms, one each based in Chicago and San Francisco. And it was a great two and a half years. we had had our second daughter and I had been responsible for many people in their in payroll, et cetera, and running a startup. And I was excited to have a couple of years focusing on just using my brain and not in, in helping people in their businesses, not necessarily my own. Um, and it was an extraordinary opportunity. I loved that I got to do it. Someone said to me a year into it, well, you've run two companies now. I said, what are you talking about? I had a startup and now I have this little, they said, well, you have three people working with you. That That is a company. I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize that. I guess I have. Um, it counts. It, it counts. counts. Yes. That's right. That, and, and that's not the point. The point is that it was a bunch of really interesting based projects. And one of those projects was an idea that I had collaborated on with a pretty renowned uh, CEO in Silicon Valley and also renowned family and people as human beings um, were pretty tremendous on many dimensions. Uh, and that for that reason, it was a privilege. But as we got into working on this project together and this idea, um, after about a year I realized that as as terrific as human beings as they are, when I believed that this project or this idea or this seedling company should be turning right, they wanted to turn left and they were funding it so we would turn left. And then at times when I thought it should turn left, they would say right. And so relatively quickly, I got to a point where I was pretty uncomfortable with the fact that I loved the idea and I, it was one of the best ideas I had collaborated on and co-authored in my entrepreneurial career, it had seedlings of being something really, really big. And yet I, I was stuck and struck by the fact that I, I, as big as it could be, the very, very early warning signs of we're already starting to go of, wow, is this the right partnership for, these, for this execution? Because we weren't necessarily seeing eye to eye. So I guess I can stop right. I like there. I like I like the word you used stuck because mm-hmm. you're telling me that they wanted to go a certain way you wanted to go another your gut was probably tell, telling you to go in the direction you needed to go in but you felt stuck. Uh, yeah. why do you think why do you think that happened? Cuz I know what that feels like it's kind of like you get inertia you're like what now? How am I supposed to manage this? Yeah, I think in that situation since they were funding through their family office this seedling startup and I was shepherding it along it was a different dynamic than when I had done my first company and I had a multitude of investors. It was clearly my show. This wasn't my show. This was our show. And since mm-hmm. they were the money and I was the engine, in some ways, the money dictated the outcomes, which it, not 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 the whole outcome, but a, some of the big critical moments. And I guess that's probably what some people feel like if they're stuck in corporate America, you know, the money is dictating the outcome. I, I had never felt that before. And what it really came down to at a fundamental level, Holly, was about values. And mm-hmm. you know as well as I that relationships, personal and professional, require shared values. And relationships particularly require shared values 
in a corporate context because you're if you're in, in a startup context I should say because you're building an I- idea and when you're working an idea of taking something that is idea and turning something you know nothing into something you're really mm-hmm. infusing it with your heart and soul and creativity and what it becomes is a function of what you want it to and so if I showed up at that project with that idea with a certain set of values and a way I thought people should be treated and the economic model should be built out and the whole business should evolve. And others thought it had a different set of evolutions that they should go. That's really not just a disagreement about strategy. It's ultimately about values. And so when I had a conversation with one of my very favorite mentors, Joel Peterson of Jet, former chairman of JetBlue, head of the Hoover Institute, my favorite, you know, esteemed lecturer at Stanford, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I said to him in the, in the heat of the moment, I said, Joel, you know, here I am, here's what I'm facing. I'm really not sure what to do. He mm-hmm. said to me, I'll never forget. I was sitting on a, standing on a balcony at Stanford near my office. And he, I, I was on the phone with Joel. He wasn't teaching that quarter. So I was on the phone with him. And he said, Alyssa, people show you who they are early in relationships. And it's your job to pay attention. I paraphrase. I love that. I love that advice. Yeah. And, and, and then he said, you went on to say that if you're having a schism of values now, it's not going to get better as time goes on because you're only a year in. And um, that was really powerful advice, right? It was really powerful advice. So in the end, as I shared with you priorly, my husband's father passed away unexpectedly in the middle of um, June in 2017. And that was the ultimate decision of what prompted us to leave California uh, and move back to Chicago on a full-time basis instead of hopping back and forth. But right in the end, that was candidly the impetus for us to, to make a geographic and big life change after 14 years. But as a collateral damage from that choice, you know, my involvement with that project and that idea came to an end because it was based in California. There had been schisms right. up to that point. And in the end, this geographic change was going to make my involvement no longer possible. So I, I would be not being totally upfront with you if I said, you know, I had the great cover and more importantly than cover, honest outcome where I had to make a personal change for personal reasons that I knew would negatively impact the project. Or I feared could it negatively impact the project, but you know, it was what it was. They had picked people to be involved. Some of the people I brought involved brought to the table were amazing. And, and I still keep great touch with them. And a couple of people that they brought to the table, I didn't think were amazing and, um, stayed. And unfortunately, as I feared it unraveled even faster than I frankly thought it would within several months and unpleasantly, wow. which is a bummer because I had a bunch of sweat equity in it. But more importantly, I, I had enough faith in the idea that I really did want it to succeed, even if I wasn't going to be part of the team to bring it to life and really commercialize it. And I was sad to see it sure. not make it. But in the end, the writing was probably on the wall for the relationship. And in the end, my sweet late father-in-law probably did me a major, major, I, I wish you were here to this day. Let's be very clear. I miss him often. Uh, at the same time, that forced transition was in many ways a silver lining of, uh, and one of the few, but a silver lining of his passing where I made a change in my career that I may not that I knew in my heart and my gut, to your point, wasn't right, but it was hard to make. And that forced my hand. And it ended up being a very positive thing for me. Right. You had a couple of GTFOs there. That's right. There were a couple of, of major life changes for you physically, 
emotionally, professionally. Right on. You know, there was a lot going on at one time. But let me back up a little bit because you keep talking about values. And I, I want to acknowledge that again because you do follow your values. You do. And I think that's what makes you successful. Thank you. Because I think about other individuals who do not align with organizational values and they stay and they stay and they stay and they don't grow and they don't achieve what they want to succeed, what they want to achieve. So I appreciate that you you were able to look at this and go, mm, good, check. Oh, values, check. Not right. Here's my time for my graceful exit and do what I need to do for myself That's right. and my family. That's right. So you got it. You got it right. You really, really got it right. Well, and then I was very, I, I made, I was different about my next choice, right? And when I knew that when we moved back here, I'd taken two and a half years out of the CEO chair intentionally. And I also knew that in some ways our little one was then two and a half and starting preschool. And it was, I'd been working full time and then some during the whole AGR Ventures teaching at Stanford phase, but I wasn't, um, but I, it was just still different than being the CEO of a company. And so I, I knew I was ready to be, be a CEO again. And yet I knew that I was going to pick an opportunity to work with board members and other executives, at least those, you know, who were initially involved with it, but primarily board members whose values I shared. And right. I also knew that that really mattered to me because without right. that, I, why would I, I wasn't going to make the same mistake twice, in other words. Right. And that's your recipe for success. So. I think, I, listen, grit and hard work are completely necessary, not sufficient. A little, I, I have worked my tail off at things and been too early in a market and not had lady luck blow her, uh, blow her <laughs> wisps my way. I've been, worked my tail off at something and worked and worked and worked and had a little bit of better luck with timing. So I don't, I, I believe grit and hard work are completely necessary and yet not sufficient. Uh, I do think timing and, and a little bit of fairy dust matters, but ultimately it's not worth your effort and your work and your blood, sweat, and tears if you're not doing it with great people who, whose values you share. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to walk into a team all the time or even build a team all the time with people with 100% shared values. People interview is like interviewing is like dating and reference checking, even the best of the best, as Joel Peterson would say, get it right. 80 or 90% of the time, no one, and, and then people sometimes have to leave organizations for their own reasons like that, which I just described. So you're not always going to have a hundred percent perfection on a team at any time, but you should have the lion's share of the people that it's a true pleasure to work with and a true joy and camaraderie and loyalty and shared values. And if that's not happening, there's something, it's, it's either not the right fit um, for you or for someone around you. And, and change is not easy. You and I both know that, Holly. Change is hard. Oh, yeah. Change is hard. Change, we both know, on the other side of change is not as hard or unpleasant as living something that isn't true to you. That's definitely agree with you more. Right? Change is Couldn't hard. agree with you more. But you got to do what's right for you. I know. And change is what gets growth. And you can't be afraid 100%. of that. 100%. And I, and I got to say, I mean, for those listening... Alyssa's not full of shit here. And she leads like she speaks because I've worked with you and for you. And I know that you lead based on fulfilling your team and watching them be successful. 
And I still got to say that I do think that's rare, unfortunately, but I think you do put your money where your mouth is. You invest in your people and you take care of your people. Uh, I try. try You do. I do try. I know you do. And something I want to go into is how long did it take you to take action on your GTFO from your professional situation? Because so many people will, will linger in it and dwell in it. And I know you said it took you a year. So let's go to like, how many circumstances did you need to observe to go, oh, that didn't feel right. Oh, or that didn't feel right to really push you towards making changes for yourself. And it doesn't mean it's quantifiable. It doesn't, I mean, it's not probably quantifiable, but how long did it take you to recognize this is not good for me? You know, I think that with any type of conversation with oneself, there's the initial inkling, scratching, poking at, um, at your heart where you know something's off. Then whether in my case, it's with my spouse or with whomever it is in your life, then there's that pressure testing that idea. And I can't say, Holly, for for me or for anyone else, if that's always the same. For me, it took a couple, you know, strange encounters and you say, hey, did I read this right? Would you have read this the same way? Okay, maybe that was a one-off. Okay, it happened again. Okay, it happened again. Okay, now I'm really pissed off about it. And then the conversation shifts to a few different conversations, which are like, oh, well, this keeps happening and I, I'm going to react to it in X way because that's who I want to be in the relationship. That's what I believe in. And I'm going to see if that shifts the person's thinking. And then it doesn't change. And then you get to the point of, okay, is this really, am I experiencing this the right way? Ooh, I'm going to try a different way of communicating to see if that has a different outcome. Oh gosh, this isn't changing. Oh wow, <laughs> this isn't going to change. And then once you go through that whole journey, which is a different probably number of interactions and experiences, and I don't know if it's been changed through Zoom interactions, et cetera. But once you get through all of that, then honestly, the conversation is really much, much more poignant, which is this isn't going to work for me. (laughs) What's it going to take for me to make a change? And then it's binary in my life experience of go, no go, pulling a trigger. And once you've pulled the trigger, whatever the impetus is, a, an incredibly angelic late father-in-law looking over from above, uh, you and your heart finally having the courage to take the leap, someone pushing you a little bit from behind, being the wind beneath your wings you didn't think they would be and giving you that extra step of encouragement, whatever form that takes. Yep. When, when that happens... Now you're about ready to jump and fly. Very true. How far, how fast, when to leap. Right. You know, that, that is also a personal decision. And once you do, we all know there's no turning back. Once you swing and commit, you have to be all in. Why but, would you run back to something that didn't serve you? Oh, and There's it no probably isn't available anymore and probably wouldn't, you know, you'd get broken and battered going back. Like it, there's no, that's not even, let's assume it's not even an option. That's the point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. You know, Agreed. You're, and then you're in the no fall zone, as they say, in molten climbing, mountain climbing. And, you know, to me, philosophically, that's the journey. So I don't feel comfortable giving you a number of days, times, interactions for that journey. But from my experience, that is the journey and being open and honest with yourself of where you are in that journey 
and pressure testing or getting a super great coach like you, let's be honest, and helping soundboard that journey and where you are in that journey. And you now do this for a living. So you know how people, how to help encourage people, particularly with that last part. No, that's, that's, that's a very personal decision. And ultimately it's the look in the mirror test. What do you want to be in when you look in the mirror? And I, I mean, I don't mean mirrors and, and vanity. I mean, I, it's really the, when you probably better, more honestly, a better metaphor for me personally is when you close your eyes and you're quiet and you're reflective and meditative, what do you want? Who do you want to be to yourself? Right. You who can you find that genuine moment. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Who, who can yep. you live with? Can you live with not going for something? When I can't live with the idea of not going for something or not doing something, it's in my heart. I know it's time to make a change. Yeah. And I admire that because that takes a lot of bravery. And there are some people who struggle with that. So to have it is is a big deal. It's a big deal. All right. I want to ask the flip side. What do you think would have happened if you did not follow your gut or your instincts or your value system? I mean, I think that I would have been more unhappy the the same bad, you know, the same conflict would have continued. It wasn't going to get better. It was only going to get worse. A, 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 a less elegant, you know, cutting of ties perhaps ultimately would have happened. Right. Um, what can I say? When you know, you know, and there's no benefit to anyone of waiting. There's time. Timing has to be right. I want to be clear. Personally, financially, all that. But you also need to realize that once you've got that clarity, you know, don't stall. You don't, if you don't have to stall, don't stall. Yeah. At some point you're going to have to make a leap. But when you do that as a very personal decision, there's no turning back, but you got to, that's, that's the. Right. You can't be afraid to pull the rip cord at that point because you're not doing it. Effectively, you've already pulled the rip cord in your heart. So then you got to figure out when to pull it in your life. Right. Right. No, I think that's important to recognize because I have known people who have pulled the rip cord in their heart before they've done it from the organization and they just sit still for a while and it just gets worse until they're ready to go. So I think that's important to realize too, or to see too. All right, Miss Alyssa, what advice do you have for people who know they need to make changes, but are sitting in simmer mode? Call Holly Kaplan. She'll help. Oh my God. (laughs) I like how you cut to the chase on that one. Yes, I can help you figure it out. But Alyssa has really good advice too, and she's lived it and she can teach it and preach it. So I want to recognize that also. And lastly, Miss Alyssa, how can our listeners stay connected to you and learn that? That I thank you for asking. On AlyssaRap.com, they can sign up for my weekly newsletter, uh, the Hacks newsletter, which is a spinoff of the book Leadership and Life Hacks. Of course, would be thrilled if they bought the book on Amazon. Just look up Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A, Rap, R-A-P-P, or the companion edition, uh, Hacks for the New World, based on uh, living and making it through this COVID-19 era. But most importantly, would uh, truly appreciate the opportunity to have them listen to this podcast, sign up for the newsletter, interact with you, Holly, for all their career needs. And I look forward to seeing them again here through through your podcast. Excellent. 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 And just so you guys know, Alyssa is also a speaker. She's a fantastic speaker and she has several events coming up. So that's just something else to add to her repertoire. So Alyssa, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your insight and your wisdom. And I know our listeners will too. And guys, That is a wrap on this episode of GTFO. Thank you for joining us today. 
Thank you for joining me today on the GTFO podcast. This is Holly Kaplan. To connect with me for confidence coaching or speaking engagements, please connect with me at hollykaplan.com or find me on Instagram at gtfo underscore podcast. Thanks.